we'd like to welcome you to the Word of Life AG podcast. During the first few weeks of October, we've been exploring this series called Let's Be Clear. Um, This week, we dive into the question of, are you good enough? And we learn some valuable truths in God's Word about what He says. Let's dive into the message recorded on October 14th, 2018. your smartphones, your tablets, however it is you want to follow along. I'm very excited about this message today. I believe God has a word for every one of us. Are you glad that God may have a word for you? Good. So let's get going. We are in week two of a two-week series that's entitled, Let's Be Clear, Part Two. (laughs) Let's Be Clear, Part Two. Today's message is going to be, Are You Good Enough? Are you good enough? Now, I did a four-week series back in 2017 that was entitled, Let's Be Clear. That was the first time that I did it. It was a four-week series that I had done, and what we were dealing with, we were dealing with some different truths that we would find in the Bible. We would dig deeper than what we normally do on a Sunday so that we would understand these truths and apply them to our lives. I wanted to cover those four things because they are important. In fact, I'm going to say it like this. They're extremely important for us to understand, and that was a year ago. So this is part two. We're doing it again, but we're only doing three, uh, two weeks of this because of our schedule with what, what's going on and, and what we need to do. So anyhow, uh, we decided to do a, uh, let's be clear, part two, and the message uh, last Sunday was who's in charge. That was, the, that was the challenge of last week. Who's in charge? Who is in charge? And that's an important question because there will come a time, and probably many times, but there will come a time that you will have to make a game-changing, life-altering decision. A game-changing, life-altering decision. And when you do, when you do, we must, we must ask the question, who's in charge? I mean, when you got something that big happening in your life, you're going to need, who's in charge of my life? Where am I going to get my direction from? Who's going to help me through all of this? How will I get to where I need to go? Who's in charge of my life? And way too often, when issues come at us like storms of life, storms of life that just seem to be out of control. And by the way, by the way, let me say this to you. Jesus said that in this life, you will have trouble. That's what Jesus said. You will have trouble. Then he says, but take heart because I have overcome this world. John chapter 16, verse 33, not in your notes, but that's what Jesus says. He gives us hope in the midst of, even maybe today, for some of you who are challenging, having challenging times, that God would deliver you and help you through that as well. But the truth is, the truth is, is is that way too often, those decisions that we need to make in those hard times of our life seem to be huge, seem to be overwhelming for us to come up with on our own, on our own. But, but if you have decided to follow Jesus, if you have decided, I don't understand it all yet, but I want to follow him, I want to believe on him, and if you would put God in charge of your life, everything I believe is going to be okay, no matter how bad, how horrendous the storm may be, I believe that it's going to be okay. And I find that from uh, Proverbs chapter, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 in your notes, I think we almost, all, all of us have it memorized. And the Bible says, uh, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. So God says, if you follow me, if you let, if you let me lead your life, if you let me be in charge, I'm going to direct everything for you. I will take care of you is what God promises us. And you may not be a believer yet. You may not be sure about God. You may not be sure about the Bible. You may not understand 
those things. And I get that, and that's okay. You even may be new in your faith. You don't know a whole lot what the Bible has to say about these things. And I understand that as well. But let me just share this with you as your pastor today. And it is this. I have, I have uh, after following God um, for many, many years now, 47 years of my life, as I've been following God, and you ask him to take the lead of your life like I was able to do back on July 5th, 1971 in the south side of Philadelphia. When you ask him to take the lead in your life, I'm telling you, man, you can trust him. You can trust God. You really can. He will help you if you ask him to. He will help you through all of that. So what I want to do now is I want to dig deep into uh, another spiritual truth that we find in God's word. I want to dig a little bit deeper in all of that today. And I want to ask you a personal question. And I'm asking everybody, if it was just you and me in a room or sitting at the cafe, I would like to ask you this question personally. Are you good enough? Are you good enough to make it to heaven? Are you good enough that when you die, you're going to heaven. Pretty sobering question, isn't it? When you think about it, this is, the, this is the way that most people think about heaven and hell. Am I good enough? Am I good enough to get to heaven? And I may, I, I may, not, be, uh, I, I may not be good enough to get to heaven, but I'm pretty sure I'm not bad enough that I have to go to hell. I'm pretty confident of that. So the question is, so am I good enough, and is it even possible for me to become good enough. Go with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. We're gonna begin reading at verse 17. Jesus has an encounter. He has an encounter with a person that we know him to be the rich young ruler, but it doesn't say that immediately in these verses, but we'll discover that here in just a few moments. But it's talking about the rich young ruler. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Now, now as he was going on the road, one came running, knelt before him, and asked him, good teacher. Stop right there, word good teacher. I want you to think about this for a moment. I'm going to talk about this toward the end of the message. Good teacher. You're going to see that a few times in these passages that we're reading. Good teacher, what shall I do to, that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. Jump with me to uh, verse 20 through 22. And he answered and he said to him, teacher, there it is again, the word teacher, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looking at him and loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way and sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. Verse 22, but he was sad. He was sad at this word, and he went away sorrowful because he had, for he had great possessions. I have a three-point message today. Last Sunday was a seven-point. We were here for about two and a half hours. We will only be here about an hour and a half with this message. No, I'm just kidding. Um, It's three points of this message, and really, I have a couple of observations that I would like to share with you through the passages that we've just read. Number one, first observation is, good is not good enough. According to to these scriptures, it appears to me that good is not good enough. Now, Jesus is doing something with this particular young man, doing something that is a bit out of the ordinary for him. What Jesus does is that he begins to quote some of the Ten Commandments to this guy. And this guy says to Jesus, I've done them all. I've done them. 
what you want me to do and what the Bible says, I, I, I've done it all, is what he was saying. Now, you need to understand that this story, the, the exact same story is also in a couple of other of the gospels. We find this to be in Mark chapter 10, which is where we are, Luke chapter 18, and then again in Matthew chapter 19, the story of the rich young ruler. That All three of these have this, but I want to read to you what it says in, in, uh, in uh, Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. Matthew 19, verse 16, and it says these words now, behold, one came and said to him, good teacher, there it is again, good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? What good thing shall I do? There it is again. There just seems to be this, what, uh, will I do more good than bad so I can make it to heaven? Will I do more good than bad? If you talk to people who really don't understand the Bible or who really don't have a relationship with God um, and you talk to them about going to heaven, almost immediately, many, many times, the focus goes to this word called good. Almost always, the focus is on that word good. In other words, I feel, I feel rather good. I, I, I think my good outweighs the bad that I've had in my life. Or I, I feel like I'm not as bad as some. Do you know him over there? I'm not nearly as bad as him. Anyhow, uh, or, or another thing, I, I really believe that uh, my good works far outweigh the little bit of bad that I've really done. I really believe that. In fact, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that there's a big old scale in heaven and God is going to, to uh, uh, take all of my good and put it in one side of the bucket and then he's going to take my bad and put that in the other bucket and I'm sure, I'm pretty confident that God will see clearly that my good outweighs the bad of my life all the time. And honestly, that's exactly what this rich young ruler was, was thinking and hoping for. In your notes, it says in Mark chapter 10, verse 17, we read it just a moment ago, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? It's what he was asking. And Jesus immediately responds to him in verse 18, and he said these words, and he says this, there is no one good but God. Did you hear that? There is no one good but God. In other words, the only one good enough to go to heaven on their own is God. Would you give me an amen? I mean, that's what the Bible says. The only one that can make it to heaven, and that is God. So listen, I'm not saying at all that we shouldn't do good things, because we should. And I'm not saying that we're not saved to do good works, because we are, and you should be. But I am saying definitively that the Bible says that we are not saved by works. We are not saved by works. Go with me again to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. It says these words, it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Does anybody remember we talked about this last Sunday? Okay, uh, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We can't, we can't be good enough on our own, is what the Bible is telling us. We can't. We can't be good enough on our own. We can't. And last week, uh, we broke it down this way, so let me do it again one more time real quick. By grace, you have been saved. By grace, not by works. By grace, you have been saved through faith. You've got to believe that he's really there, that God is really on your side. You can be saved. We can be saved, uh, uh, be saved through faith, not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. Lest anyone should boast. 
That's what the Bible says. We learned that last week when we talked about being saved, and this week we're talking about this, are you good enough? We're using that particular verse again. And because this man goes down the road of being good enough, Jesus decides to go down the road with him a little bit. Talk to him a little bit for a few minutes anyhow on that. And I, I want you to notice what Jesus did because it's almost, it almost seems like when Jesus is talking to this, this kid, this guy, it, it almost seems like he's going along with it a little bit. He's not, but it sort of looks like that. So I want to just talk about that for a moment. Jesus says to him, Jesus says to him, well, you know the commandments. You know the commandments, and he names some of the commandments. <coughs> in fact, as you look in the scriptures, and you can look at that right now if you want, uh, in fact, what he does do is that he names six commandments. The, the names of, of the six, Jesus names six of the commandments, and just so you know, in case you don't know, there's not just six commandments, there's ten. There's ten commandments altogether that you would find within the Bible. So why would Jesus only give him six? Why would Jesus not name all 10 of them? Personal opinion. Some thought maybe you need to think about. Maybe first and foremost, maybe Jesus was a bit tired that day when he met that guy. Maybe he just got done with a big crusade and he's just sort of worn out. I've been there, I've done that. I know what that feels like. Not nearly as much as what Jesus did, but anyhow, uh, maybe he's a little bit worn out. Maybe he's tired, or, or maybe he forgot. Maybe he forgot to go with four more. I mean, he gave him six. That not that enough? I mean, maybe he forgot. Uh, or maybe it's been a while since Jesus had read the book of Deuteronomy and the book of Exodus where the Ten Commandments are. Maybe that was his problem. Maybe that's why he only did six rather than ten. I don't know. Well, actually, the truth of the matter is what I've just said, all of that is wrong. None of the above is right. Jesus has the Ten Commandments memorized. Wait, let me go a little bit further. Jesus wrote the Ten Commandments. <laughs> he wrote the entire Bible. Well, then why? Why didn't he use all six? This is cool. Let me give this to you. Hang with me as I explain this to you. The Ten Commandments are divided into two categories. The first four commandments have to deal with man's relationship with God. Let me say it again. The first four of the Ten Commandments have to do with man's relationship with God. But the last six commandments deal with man's relationship with man which is what Jesus was talking about. He was dealing with the six. So four have to do with man's relationship with God. Six have to do with man's relationship with each other. You and me is what that, ha that is. And by the way, Jesus was asked a question once by someone who was trying to trick him and he said, asked him the question, so what is the greatest commandment of all? And Jesus basically says, well, it's, it's not just one commandment, there's two is what he says, and he gives them, he lists two different categories. He says the first one, if you know it, say it with me. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then he says, and the second one is like it, and that is, say it with me, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, is what Jesus says. And he covers those last six commandments. So Jesus only lists those that have, have to do with man's relationship with man. And do you know why he did that? I'm not 100% sure, but a little bit of my studies seem to indicate this, and it, uh, it, the reason is, is because this guy has already broken the very first commandment. He already has broken the very first commandment. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, it says these words, which is the first of the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before you. You shall have no other gods before me, is what he says within his word. In other words, he already had a god before God, and that was his possessions. 
It was what he was able to acquire, what he was able to do with his life. It was his possessions. And Jesus cuts right to the heart of that in Mark chapter 10, verse 18, and he says, there is no one who is good enough. There is no one who is good enough. There is no one, and and this is difficult for some to understand. So God phrases it another way. He says in Romans chapter three, verse 12, Jesus says it this way. Listen to this. At the conclusion of that verse, he says, there is no one who does good. No, not one. I mean, he's beaten the drum here. He's, he's, he's trying to prove a point, not only to this rich young ruler, but to all of us, even here today. There is none, no, not one. There is none who does good, no, not one. Now, could it be, could it be? I've heard this theory, and I'm going along with it. I think it's pretty accurate. Could it be, could it be that, that uh, Jesus said this the way that he did? Because he knew that probably we, we were going to argue this. We were going to argue this with God, and we were going to argue this with one another. Because Jesus says, he looks at him, and he says, there is no one who does good. No one. I don't know what you're thinking, but maybe what you're thinking is, well, but what about Mother Teresa? No. No, not one. What about Billy Graham? No. Not one is good. Not one. No. Not one. No. Because I know you're thinking of some who may be able to have, have that good card pulled on them. No, not one. Now, I know I'm talking to a lot of Catholics in here, and the guy speaking to you right now is a Catholic, was a former Catholic. No, not one. Jesus said that. No, not one. And I'm feeling resistance that I'm saying this. I feel like some of you are sitting back saying, I think this guy's losing it. No, I'm not. Not one. I'm not quoting me. I'm quoting him. No, not one is what he says. There is no one that is good enough to make it to heaven. Well, there's got to be somebody. I know there's somebody. No, not one. Get it in your head. The Bible says, if I've broken one commandment, then I'm guilty of breaking how many of them? All of them. That's what the Bible says. And I broke more than one a lot of times. Did you know that to be good is to be God? That's how you sum all of this up. To be good is to be God. And if we're good, it comes from God. Because this flesh doesn't want to do good. This flesh doesn't want to be good. I want to do my own thing. But if we do good, it's because of God. And did you know that the word good comes from the word of God? From the word God. Jesus says there is only one who is good, good enough, and that is God. And what so many of us do is that we seek degrees of being good. Like, this might not be all that good, but it's really not all that bad either. (laughs) Now listen, my thought is something like this. That may be how the world thinks about good. That may be how the world thinks about things that would be good or society would think about this, but that's not what God does. And if you're a follower of Christ, I think you need to be one who's going to be following him on his side, what he says to do rather than what the world says. And I just think I should get an amen for that because that's good preaching. So I think that you need to have that understanding and realize that. Point number two, God requires total commitment. 
Point number two, God requires total commitment. I know I said this last week in my message, but I'm going to a different level, going down a different vein than what I talked about last week. I'm thinking something like this. I'm thinking that when this guy, when Jesus began to rattle off to this guy some of the six commandments, I'm thinking that this guy is probably saying to himself, I I think I might have this. This might be favor in in my camp right now. And uh, so this guy is probably saying to himself as these are going on, okay, okay, Jesus is going through this. Okay, honor your father and mother. Yep, I, I've, I've done all of that. I've done all of that. Uh, uh, don't steal, don't lie, don't commit adultery. Well, I've, I've done about 75% of that. I got that, that pretty good. Do not murder. I've never murdered. I, I've got this. Jesus, Jesus, I got it. I mean, I, I think I got it. I think I'm in. I think you agree with me. I think, I, I think I'm in. I, I, I do all of this. I get it, God. I'm in that way. And then Jesus looks at him and says, there's only one more thing that I need you to do. And I'm thinking that this guy's probably thinking, well, I've got that too. I mean, I've got these six things. I know I, I, I got that one more thing, whatever that may be. He's hopeful. I'm thinking that this guy is thinking that there's one more thing to do. I must have this. It must be okay. And Jesus looked at him and said something like this, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Really? Everything? Go with me to Mark 10, verse 22. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. If that was you, I think you would be sad too. Because if you've got all of your cards banked on that one thing that is good works and you think you've got part of that really going for you, to hear that it's not helping you one single bit to get to heaven, it's not good news. Sell everything and give it to the poor, Jesus said. Take up your cross and follow me. So let me ask you a question. Don't answer aloud, please. Would you give up everything? Would you give away everything you have so that you can go to heaven? Don't answer, but would you? Let me ask a deeper question. Have you? Have you? Now listen, I'm not saying that you have to, uh, I'm not saying that you have literally dispersed all of your assets, but I am asking, who is the owner of everything you have? Who in your mind, in your heart, in your spirit, who do you believe is the one who's really in charge of all of that? Who's in charge of your entire life? Your entire life. Have you given everything to God? And that's only a question you can answer. Only you can answer that. Because he requires total commitment if you're going to follow him. I don't know, but I find it a bit funny when people will tell me that they've given 100% to God. 
And it's a little bit funny because at the very same time, those are the same people who argue about the tithe. Uh, when, when the tithe was taken today, the offering was taken, we talked about the tithe. I'm sure that something shot through you like a bullet. You know, like, oh, here we go. Money, money, money. It's all the church wants is your money. No, it's not what the church wants. That's not what we want. So, you know, the, the thing that they have a problem with is with the tithe. And so they come up and they say, Pastor, I've given God everything. Everything. Really? Great, man. You tithe? Are you kidding me? Are you crazy? Giving God 10% of my income, that's a little bit extreme. Don't you agree with me? That seems to be, that seems to be what, what they're, they, they seem to be saying. Listen, you and I cannot buy our way into heaven either. You can't buy it. You can't give God a zillion dollars and you're going to make it to heaven because you've given him a, given him a zillion dollars. He doesn't need your zillion dollars. He doesn't need anything. It's clear within the Bible. But I do want to tell you something that's not going to make some of you happy today. In fact, I think it might shock some. I think that there may be quite a few people who think they're Christians, but they're not. I say that because of what Jesus says both in Matthew chapter 6 and Luke chapter 12. And what Jesus says in both of those scriptures, and you'll find it in your notes there, he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now listen to me, it's none of my business. I, I don't know what you're in, I don't care. I, I don't know what's going on with you. I don't know if this applies to anybody in this room. I think it does for maybe a few. But the fact of the matter is, I am your pastor and I do love you. And I will tell you what the word of God says. And it's up to you to decide whether you're going to believe it or not. That's, that's your call. That's, that's between you and God. That has nothing to do with me. And I want you to also know, honestly, honestly, I don't know what anybody gives this church. The only ones that I know about who gives to the church, I know the exact number, is me and my wife, Marianne. We're the only two. I don't look at the records. Trudy, who is our financial secretary, has never opened the books for me to be able to see that. I never would want to see that. It's none of my business. So I'm not talking about it that way. But I will say this, I'm not sure that your heart really is in the kingdom of God if your treasure is not there. What's your treasure? Where is your treasure? I'm not sure that you have given everything to God if you're still holding on to, that this is my money, this, this is my home, this is my car, this is my, whatever those things are. Whatever those are, I'm not sure, I'm really not sure that you have given everything to God. And again, my friend, that's between you and God. All I know is that he looks for total commitment is what God wants in his word. So I want to ask, ask you another question and don't answer this aloud either because you're probably going to be wrong if you do answer it anyhow. Did Jesus, did Jesus tell this man that he had to sell everything in order to go to heaven? Did Jesus tell this man to sell everything in order to go to heaven? No, he did not. No, he did not. Go with me to Mark 10, 21. Mark 10, 21. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor. Now watch what Jesus says. Watch this very carefully. Look at the screen. Look at what's being projected to you. In verse 21, Jesus says these words. If you will do this. Okay, I know it's not in there. He didn't say if you will do this. He didn't say that. But I'm telling you, this is the implication. Jesus is implying this. He says, give to the poor, and if you will do this, not in there, but if you will do this, you will have treasures in heaven. 
The way we get treasures in heaven is by giving. Not by being good. Giving. He says, he says, you will have treasures in heaven. Or another way to say it is if you become a giver, you will have treasures in heaven. Now look at the last seven words at the end of Mark chapter uh, 10, verse 21. Look at those last seven words. Take up your cross and follow me, is what Jesus said. Take up your cross and follow me. Do you know what this dude had to do in order to go to heaven? He had to do the exact same thing that every person on the planet has to do in order to get to heaven. And that is take up your cross and follow me is what Jesus says. That's what we have to do. It has nothing to do with money. It doesn't matter how much money you have or how much you give away, what you do with your money. That's your, your call, man. If you want to do it your way, you do it your way. That's not going to get you to heaven or not. The fact of the matter is, is that you have to take up your cross and you have to follow him. He had to do the same thing that every one of us do. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, and, and it's, it's approached this way, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, is what Jesus says. And here's what Jesus did for this man. He made it clear, he made it clear that to go to heaven, you need to take up the cross and follow me. But in order for you to take up the cross, you have to deny yourself. In order to take up the cross, you have to deny yourself. And the place, sir, that you need to deny yourself is in your possessions. It's in your possessions. What Jesus was telling this rich young ruler is that here's what's stopping you from making the game-changing decision. And the game-changing decision is that you do the same as everybody else has to do. Take up your cross and follow me, is what he says. Come on, give the Lord a round of applause. Thank you for the revelation. Thank you for the truth, God. Before any person, by the way, let me say it again. Before any person can take up the cross, you have to deny yourself. You have to deny yourself. So for you, sir, the one thing that is stopping you from de uh, denying yourself is your money. And my question to you today is, what is the one thing that is stopping you from denying yourself? What is the one thing that is stopping you from denying yourself? Is it a relationship? Is it a sin? Is there addictions? Is it a stronghold in your life that is keeping you from denying yourself? The absolute top, the absolute top of the list of all of my possessions in this life is my wife and my kids and my family. It is the very top of all of my possessions. My wife and my kids and their families, the top priority of my possessions. They mean everything to me. They mean everything in this life to me. Everything in this life. I learned very quickly, immediately following my son's sudden death two years ago, my oldest son. And I knew that if there's ever a time that Randy Chiz needs to deny himself, it is now. It is this day. Because I'm not going to walk away from the God. I'm not going to walk away from my God. Raise a fist toward heaven and say to him because of my son's death, I'm done. 
I'm done with you. I'm done with this. I'm walking away. I am not going to do that. I am not going to allow the loss of my greatest possession, which is my son, to allow that to cause our marriage to crumble, to bring division within the family. I'm not trying to sound holy. I'm not trying to sound pious. I'm not trying to sound religious at all. That's a bunch of gunk. I'm not trying to do that. But I've, I'm here to tell you I have been serving God for 47 years of my life. And he has never failed me yet. Not once. He has never failed me yet. And no matter what... This is still a grieving father before you. No matter what, I will deny myself and I will take up my cross and I will continue to follow him no matter what. And that's what God wants of you. That's what God wants of every one of us. God requires a total commitment no matter what. The same is for every single one of us. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. Point number three, Jesus loved him. Jesus loved him. Mark chapter 10, verse 21. God, thank you. Man, oh man. I don't like to tell you some of the secrets of my life, but I wailed like a baby both the last two days as I got to that point, and I just don't want to cry in front of anybody, so thank you, Lord, for getting me through Mark chapter 21, listen to this. He loved him, he loved him. Jesus loved him. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing, one thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, take up the cross and follow me. Jesus loved him. Jesus loved him. Man, I just love this verse. This is, such, this is such a gold nugget for every one of us in this room today. Jesus loved this guy. Jesus, who is the second person of the Trinity, felt this genuine love for this guy. This love for this guy that, that represents every single one of us. This guy is you. This guy is you, sir, ma'am. This guy is us. And no matter what is going on, no matter what questions you may have, you can go to God and he's not going to cast you away. No matter what is going on, he's going to love you no matter what you want to know from him, no matter whatever challenge or understanding with what you're going through. He's not going to push you away. He's going to love you. This interaction that Jesus had with this guy was not a, 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 a work of religion. It was not the law at work, but it was, at, it was with love that was at work. It was love at work. God, your heavenly father, wanted to draw you to, your, to himself. Jesus loved him enough to tell this guy the truth. Jesus loved him enough to confront him with where this guy is actually heading, where he's actually going in life, unless he changes direction and changes course. God loves you so much that he's willing to, willing to tell the truth to you as well. And I wish, I wish I could tell you that this rich young ruler did exactly what Jesus told him to do. The Bible gives us an indication and it says, but he was sad because he had great possessions and he walked away. He walked away. Go with me to Matthew chapter 10, verse 23 and 24. Then Jesus looked, looked around and said to his disciples, the guy's gone and it's just Jesus and the disciples. And Jesus said, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter into the kingdom of God. And his disciples were astonished, the Bible said, when he said that. 
They were astonished at what Jesus said at his words. But Jesus again answered again and said to them, children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. Go with me to verse 25, same chapter. And Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. It's not that God is against rich people. He's not. He gives us riches. But the fact of the matter is, is that when it comes to riches, it's something that can pull us away from him. Our obligation to our riches sometimes is more important to us than anything in this world, especially when things begin to go south, when things are happening that we just don't understand. You know, like I said in the beginning, some of those things that are just like the storms of life Where do we go? And if you're anchored to the right one, you're gonna be okay. You'll make it through one way or another. Take it from me. God can get you through. Jesus says, let me tell you how hard it is for those who have riches to enter into the kingdom of God. It's extremely hard. The reason why they were astonished, listen to me, I know you don't, I shouldn't say that like this. I'm thinking you probably don't know this about the disciples. But the reason why they were astonished at what Jesus said is because these were men of wealth as well. These were not poor people. I know we think of the 12 apostles and disciples of Jesus that they must have been dirt poor. But if you look into the scriptures, you're going to see that they weren't. They weren't because they had their own little private businesses. I mean, they had boats. Not boat. Not a little tiny rowboat. They had boats. The Bible says they had boats. They had their own business. They had hired servants that would work for them. In fact, uh, even Peter declares, he says something like this to Jesus. We left everything to follow you. We left all that we had to follow you. They had possessions. They had riches. And they're thinking in their head that maybe I'm not saved. Maybe I'm not going to make it. Go with me to verses 26 and 27. And they were greatly astonished, saying to, among themselves, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with, with men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things, say it with me, all things are possible. Is what Jesus says at the conclusion. Here's what Jesus is saying. It's impossible to save yourself, you need a savior. The only way you can ever be saved comes through what Jesus has done for us. It it is by grace that we get saved with Jesus. And with men, it's impossible. There is no way a person will ever be good enough, ever, 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 to make it to heaven on their own, no person. I seem to be emphasizing that today because I'm sort of sensing in my heart that there may be a few still not convinced of that. I want to conclude. I want to conclude this message and I want to share with you what I think to be incredible, incredible news. This is just so mind-boggling to me. But it's wonderful. And it's a good way to end a message. I believe that there was a misconception with the conclusion of our passage today and that is that we assume that this guy did not do what Jesus asked him to do. We assume that. And the reason why we assume that is because he went away sad. Went away sad because he had a lot of possessions. But the the truth is you'd be sad too. If you had all those things and Jesus said to you what he said to him, you'd be sad too. I would be. If I've got a 68 Corvette and if God says get rid of it, I'm going to be wailing and screaming and crying out to God. Fasting for 90 days so I can get my car back. I'm just kidding, God. You can have it if you want it. Anyhow. But it doesn't, doesn't tell us that that's what this guy did. It doesn't tell us what we assume. We assume that he didn't do it. It doesn't tell us that he didn't. Historical documents of the day declare this. And the historical documents are pretty accurate. 
it declares this, we know of a man that did this. We know. We know of a man that did this. This, is, this, is, uh, this man is um, referred by a guy by the name of Josephus Begorum. And Josephus is the most famous historian of the day. And he wrote about this man. He's the one who's talking about this particular man, this man. And he said that this man was called the richest, the youngest ruler in Jerusalem. Some, uh, and that's some of the headings that you would find in your Bibles, the rich young ruler. It will say that. And it says the rich young ruler because of what is said in the scriptures. It says, it says in Matthew, Mark, and Luke that all of them say that he was rich. In, in uh, Matthew, it says that he was young. And in Luke, it also says that he was a ruler. So typically, we call all of this, when we're opening to these scriptures that we open with, we're talking about the rich young ruler. In fact, I may have said that, the story of the rich young ruler. I don't know if I said that or not. But history tells us that this man had so much wealth, this man had so much wealth that he could support all of the inhabitants of Jerusalem for 10 years on just his wealth alone. Could support all of the inhabitants. And he was the youngest ruler ever of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin were the top, the highest religious uh, order of the day. And they were, they were the top religious dogs of that particular day. Joseph, Josephus uh, Begorium writes a lot about this guy, this rich young ruler. And the person Josephus was writing about was his own brother. Josephus, Josephus his own brother is what he's talking about. And his brother's name, and see if you would remember his name that is found in the Bible. Hint, it's in John chapter 3. The name of this guy is in John chapter 3. Josephus' brother is John, uh, found in John chapter 3. His brother's name was Nicodemus. This guy's name is Nicodemus. Nicodemus Begorum. And that is the exact same Nicodemus that I talked about one year ago on October 1st, 2017, when I was doing Let's Be Clear. That particular Sunday, I talked about you must be born again. This is one of the deep truths that we dug into last year. You must be born again is what the Bible says. And it was Nicodemus who met with Jesus in the night and began to ask him some questions and Jesus spoke to him. In fact, if you, if you would look up the scripture, don't, you don't need to do this, but if you looked up John chapter three, what, what uh, um, uh, Nicodemus says to Jesus is, he says these words, good teacher, good teacher. Now I told you earlier, I want you to remember the good teacher because this was said all the time and here is, here is Nicodemus with Jesus and he says the words, good, good teacher, we know that you come from God. That is the exact same words that he used, this rich young ruler when he was with Jesus in Matthew, in Mark chapter, Mark chapter 10, good teacher. In John chapter seven, Nicodemus, he stands before the entire Sanhedrin council and he defends Jesus. In John chapter 19, Nicodemus shows up at the tomb and he would help embalm the body of Jesus. Do you remember where, the, where, the, uh, where they laid the body of Jesus? Does anybody remember the tomb that he was in? Do you remember this? A man had a tomb by the name of Joseph Arimathea. Arimathea. And uh, here's what we know about Joseph of Arimathea. His best friend, his best friend of all was Nicodemus. There he is again, Nicodemus. By the way, um, I think it was really not that bad of a deal for uh, Joseph of Arimathea to let Jesus use his tomb because he only needed it for three days. And I looked it up and I found it online. I found it online that there was an actual, uh, they, they found an ad on a Craigslist of that particular day and it said one grave, one grave barely used. 
I'm, I'm sure they made some money off of that. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm exaggerating that a little bit too. But anyhow, here's what else we know about Nicodemus. Think about this with me. If Nicodemus was the richest, then why didn't he put, up, put Jesus in his own tomb? Why did he have to go to his best friend, Joseph of Arimathea, to use his instead? Let me tell you why. This is incredible. Let me tell you why. Because history tells us, history tells us that Nicodemus sold everything he had and he gave it to the poor. Can you imagine that? Nicodemus gave everything that he had and he gave it to the poor. He sold everything. He sold everything to follow Jesus. Now, have you given your all to him? For whatever Jesus has given you, whatever God has blessed you with, have you given your all? Is, is he the one in charge? Is he the one that you're saying, whatever you say, it's yes, whatever you want, I'll do. Is it that way with you? Are you totally committed to Jesus Christ? Because if you're not, you can be today. It's not joining Word of Life Church. If you come here, great. We would love it. We want you to be here. But that's not why we're doing this. It's we want you to know Jesus. We want you to know. Your whole life can change for the good if you would just give him your life. If you would take up your cross, who you are, what's going on in your life, and follow him. I promise you, your life will be forever changed. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you're new to our church, I want to let you know about a super exciting thing that we have going on currently. Our life path is a three-step process to getting involved and connected to our church. The first step is on the first week of the month, second step, second week of the month, and third step on the third week of the month. We can't wait to see you there as we grow together to become more connected, committed, and contagious.